We've got Think Tank. We run it all the way up on the big issues, the great conversations all the way to the top hour at 8 o'clock. We welcome on Kareem Assad, lawyer and political satirist, investigative journalist. She's done, by the way, again, she always does phenomenal work, but the step up's been massive since uh, October 7th, uh, going uh, to the places where some journalists just aren't going. Karima, thank you very much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Also, I think the only uh, lawyer uh, of the group out of the four of us, not that the three of us won't need one someday, um, listen, um, let's bring on Ben Mulrooney, who will be in for Kelly Cotrera later today between 12 and three o'clock. Great to have you. How was your commute home yesterday? You weren't in the car as long as I was. There's just no way. Uh, no, 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 I wasn't. But it was still. Listen, I'm used to waking up at odd hours and, and driving yeah. at off peak hours. So so normally it's a 10 at 15 minute drive for me. Yesterday was close to an hour. It, it was very, <laughs> very upsetting for for old Ben Ben here. I was not used to it. I've been meaning to come out and visit Roy Green for lunch at some point in time, but uh, but I would have needed two tanks of gas, I think, to do it yesterday, uh, given the uh, the commuting times. But here he is, the host of the Roy Green Show, 2 to 5 on the Chorus Radio Network tomorrow and Sunday. Here's Roy Green. And, we're, and your, your fans are in early, Roy. We get a text from Martin Wade, who lives in Shelburne. Roy Green is my hero. You're touching You're touching people everywhere, so to speak, Roy. There you have it. Well, that's very generous for Martin. Thank you very much. How are you, Greg? I'm de- I'm decent enough. It was a uh, what a, I I, po- I posted the stats. It was a 53 kilometer commute from Liberty Village out to Ajax, two hours and 28 minutes. I went 22 kilometers an hour, Roy. I could have walked backwards uh, in in a in a better era for me. So here's here's where my car was in the garage. <laughs> that's the way to do it. <laughs> that's, that's no shoveling, no scraping, no, no nothing. Well, my, my neighbor came out and did the shoveling for me. So oh, I can, you learned. How can I possibly argue with that? He was in, on vacation. You learned. One other snowfall we had this winter. And I did his stuff, so he did it for me yesterday. Well, you learned something. Uh, uh, experience <laughs> makes a person wise. I'm starting to figure yes, that sir. out at a certain point it's in time. Um, this story, let me start with you here, Roy, and then I'll circle back around to Kareem and Ben. Um, this story about school closures, um, it makes me angry um, um, because I think there were some of us who felt sort of stifled and we wanted to yell and scream about it when our kids were at home staring at screens. I know Ben's a parent too, and, and I want him to be able to weigh in on this. But we get this study from McMaster finding school closures may not have been necessary to prevent spread of COVID-19. I, I, I replace may not have been necessary was didn't work. Um, that's the phrase I'd use to prevent spread of COVID-19. I know, I know this is a long-term study and new data, but it still doesn't help when we're sitting there in, in the spring to summer of 21 thinking we've been at this for 15 months. We Maybe we should get the choice to send our kids back. What do you think of a study like this? Well, frankly, Greg, this was predicted repeatedly by infectious diseases specialists, including one from McMaster. I spoke with on air during the pandemic, challenged the need to close the schools and resort to remote learning. The doctors I spoke with did not support the announced need to keep schools closed for health reasons and argued directly that doing so would result in what we're seeing now, the consequences, reduced learning and social development. I spoke with parents recently who lamented with closings and have observed more insular behaviors in their kids, also more aggression and a decline in interest in going to school now. So I fear the effects of peer isolation will see repercussions for years to come. I hope we've learned from the experience and make very sure, as much as we can, about any such actions involving kids in any future health or perhaps social crises. 
Ben, um, your kids are slightly younger than me, and and we did everything we could. We really did. But we, again, um, as I guess I'd, I'd call our family one of privilege, the kids had their own computers, and they had their own space, and they had their own rooms. I kept thinking about somebody in an apartment building, a single parent with three or four kids with weak internet, or somebody that had to go to work, and they count on those schools being open, not as a babysitting service, but for socialization, to, for reading skills, for all of it. And we took that away probably for too long from those families oh I, I, listen I, it's, it's, I say absolutely um, but I think we have to also be cautious and remember you know h- how we felt how scared we were as as a community how scared we were as a province how scared we were as a, as a country and yes it took a, um, it took a while uh, you're, you're probably right after about 15 months we probably were, were saying this, this, this has gone on long enough and, and we seem to be the, the province that has been doing this the longest in uh, in Canada and one of the places has done it the longest in the world, but but we aired we aired on the side of caution and and yes I, I, we we saw some we've been seeing some uh, some reaction to this um, mm. in terms of socialization and education my my kids my kids grades suffered uh, tremendously mm-hmm. um, but it's there seems to be an element of Monday morning quarterbacking going on as well and and I'm not. Uh, if we have to do it over again, I'm sure we do a lot of things differently, and this is just one of them. That's interesting, and, and I want to come to Karima with that. I, I'd like to think we'd do things differently, but I also want to hear the decision makers say they would do things differently, um, to Ben's point, Karima, and I don't hear that as much as I'd like, I suppose. No, uh, that's not really part of our political culture here, it seems. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree with uh, what Ben just said to a point, um, although if we unpack erring on the side of caution, um, from what I recall, schools were often first to close, last to open, while other services or things were uh, opening up, right? Um, so I, I do think that the, the priorities were a little bit off, and, and that will have very long-term impacts for kids. And, and we don't really know how we're going to measure that or what it will look like. Um, and now current and future investments to try and, you know, you can't really undo, you can't unring the bell, yeah. um, but we can keep a close eye on things and hopefully try to restore, put kids back to, you know, a better position because uh, some of these development moments are are crucial and were missed. Yeah, it was a long and brutal stretch. Ben, I'll give you a great example. My, my kid was in seventh grade, but the eighth graders in spring of 21, my recollection is, even as schools went remote, they were saying, could we have an online or sorry, an outdoor grad for yeah. our kids? Could we have that in June? And they took a vote and of, I think, third, eh, no, it wasn't that big a class, 27, 28 kids, 24, 25 parents said, let's do it. We're all in. Two parents said no, and the two parents won out. Like, again, I think we were kind of catering at that point in time to be like, you don't have to show up. You don't have to come. We'd like it if you did, but you've you've shut the door on this huge moment. Graduating grade eight, okay, fine, but it's something. We got to give something back, and we weren't doing that then. And, and, and I do. I have to wonder, um, like how, how much how much um, insight and input did uh, t- teachers unions have uh, into these decisions yeah. as well? Like, I, you know, they, the, the government has the ultimate say, but you can't open a school if the teachers say they don't want to show up. 
And and so I know a lot of a lot of parents want their kids to go back to school, but I'm not quite sure how the dynamic works. Like, where does the buck stop? Uh, how how much mm. how much say you can't open a school if the um, if the if the teachers don't want to be there, and you can't open the school if the people who maintain the schools don't want to mm. be there. So I wonder how much of ultimately of, of responsibility is borne by the organization, the stakeholders beyond the parents, beyond the province. You ask a great question. And Roy, on this front, I know, you know, I was listening to your show a lot leading in that era, leading up to, well, sorry, in, in 22, when things were getting back to normal, leading up to the provincial election. But a lot of people were critical of Doug Ford for, you know, golf courses are closed, schools are closed here and there. The problem is when it came to vote, we didn't see the liberals led by Stephen Del Duca and we didn't see the NDP led by Andrea Horvath advocating for parents, advocating for seniors, advocating for kids. They were just critical that, oh, it's a shame we had to school close, close, uh, close schools, rather. But that's the right thing. And we just didn't see anybody willing to be brave and step up and say this ain't right. No, but but you know what, Greg, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. I spoke with infectious diseases specialists who predicted this, who said this is going to this is going to be the result. And it's not necessary to close the schools to the extent that we did for as long as we did. And they told me exactly what was going to happen. And it has. And most parents I spoke with a couple of nights ago were very clear about what's happening with their three kids. Three of them. All of them are suffering. Yeah. Uh, I want to come to uh, Kareem Asad. We've got Kareem Asad, Ben Mulrooney, and of course Roy Green with us on Think Tank. Um, b- bit of a battle of uh, of words between uh, two college presidents. Uh, maybe we can you know get them in the ring and do something for charity. The prime minister's done it before, uh, but Conestoga College's president called. Uh, the Sioux College president, a really bad word. The Sioux College president was making his way uh, rounds and, and was doing a couple media hits yesterday, coming back at the Conestoga president. Bottom line, um, now that there's going to be international student visas capped, Karima, we're going to see a bit of a fight here. I don't doubt these are huge sources of revenue and income for these colleges that don't have quite the infrastructure to compete with universities. But now that there's only going to be a certain amount of kids, we're going to see some battles here, maybe more like this. I, I agree. Um, I mean, the the insult didn't really make sense. Uh, it was the most offensive part of it for me. But it um, this is going to get messy. And I think it reveals that, you know, our numbers were too high. And I think that we're going to find that colleges have been somewhat irresponsible in the ways that they have dealt with international students, welcomed them in, um, the ways that they have assessed their ability to actually be competitive in Canadian programs, um, the the meanings of their certificates and diplomas, um, the impact on local communities as far as housing and uh, other support services that, you know, just weren't always accessible. Um, so I, I don't have a ton of sympathy uh, for the the college heads here. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, a more conscientious way forward is absolutely necessary. And this squabble, it just it reveals kind of the absurdity of, of the whole discussion. Roy Kitchener uh, and the Kitchener Waterloo area. It's a great place to go to school. You got Waterloo there, Laurier, Conestoga has been one of the leading community colleges. But the numbers don't work. There's 32,000 international students there this year. That's a town that kind of swells out at about a quarter of a million. So you're bringing in a population just of international students. That's about 12 percent of the entire population of the town. Of course, you're going to push real estate and rentals and part time jobs and the like. Of course, that would happen. 
Well, Greg, I agree with what Karina said, and I'll add this. The federal government waited far too long to address the issue, which was spilling over into public opinion forums. I heard it on the air as listeners were casting about for reasons for their economic challenges, particularly access to housing and quick and effective health care. Two years ago, there were polls questioning the levels of immigration to Canada, with 75 percent of Canadians expressing concerns about the numbers of newcomers to this country and how that was likely to affect housing, health care and social programs. And that just continued to roll along. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Mr. Trudeau's government should have acted sooner in concert with provincial governments and particularly the Ford government, cutting new study permits by 35 percent over 2023 levels is a major issue for colleges. It was predictable and should have been addressed, as I said, much sooner. It's tricky, isn't it, Ben? Because now we're walking this line, and I was I was listening to you a couple of days ago. We're starting to have more honest and frank conversations about about immigration. It used to be you'd mention the word, "Hey, I got an opinion on immigration," and everybody be like, "Uh oh, what's this person going to say?" But I think we're, we're we're trying to give people a fighting shot who come here. We want the best, we want the brightest, but we want to set them up for success, not failure. We, we do, and, and, and we should be, and a decision by the government should keep that in mind. And this feels this, – this felt rushed by the federal government. This felt like they, they needed to show that they were doing something. And rather than do this in concert with not just the provinces but the, the stakeholders like the universities and colleges, they were just told of this. And listen, this is the new reality. Deal with it right now. And, 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 and it's created a crisis in these universities, so you got, he, they, they, they've essentially played a shell game, moving from a, a crisis of immigration to a crisis in education. So, so you pick pick your poison, um, and the government gets to say, "Well, look, we we did our job," but all they've done is is foist a, a massive uh, financial crisis on our institutions of higher learning. Something that I, in my entire life, I don't remember reading headlines like these before. Uh, is this um, a fault of the of the uh, the universities and colleges? To a certain extent, but they, they've, they've always played the hand that they were dealt. This is the new hand that they were dealt mid-game. So um, <laughs> the, the headlines themselves are a little funny. Uh, it's just like a, a cage match between um, <laughs> in three-piece suits. But, uh, but, but, this is, but this is also a very, very serious for local economies. And the, mm. the, the federal government needs to own their responsibility in this. Kareem, you've seen and heard some of these horror stories about, you know, eight eight people in a basement apartment. Um, Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, documented 25 people in the same house. And you get the Conestoga president saying, well, what's the big deal? They only want to pay $400. And I'm like, pal, like, come on. We got we got standards for living conditions in our city, in our country. Yes. Slumlords are a huge part of this whole predatory ecosystem. Um, the gig economy is another aspect of it. Um, and it, again, it's it's time to take a, a hard look at this. You, you just said we want to bring people over and increase their standard of life, their quality of life. Um, and that's not happening mm-hmm. for all of these students. And many, I believe, have been or feel duped. Um mm-hmm with the materials that they were encouraged in coming again, their ability to actually function in these programs. Um, and many quite literally sell the farm in order to be here. So it's no, it's a very serious matter.
I'm, I'm sure we'll get some potential news on this maybe during, Ben, your show today uh, between noon and three, I bet, during Roy's shows on the weekend. But let's get to Rob Oliphant. He's the parliamentary secretary to the foreign affairs minister, Melanie Jolie, uh, and Prime Minister Trudeau wouldn't answer the question yesterday. I thought he gave a good answer and said, listen, we got a huge caucus. It hasn't been easy to navigate. There's going to be differences of opinion. And I get that. We'd be critical of him if he made everybody toe the party line. But this is a bit of a mess, isn't it, Ben? Rob Oliphant was recorded without his knowledge by a constituent, which is kind of a lousy thing to do. Um, but he was critical of the liberal government's response um, on a number of fronts, including defunding uh, the U.N. Relief Agency. There's so much controversy about how do you view it? What should a prime minister do to handle this? What would Prime Minister Ben Mulroney do to handle a situation like this with Rob Oliphant? Okay, well, for, first of all, if you want to send people into a panic, start uh, uh, start with the scenario. What if Ben Mulroney were prime minister? I just had a heart attack. I know. I, yeah. I, I, I dream about it, and I'm sweating, and I'm not sure if it's a good sweat or a bad sweat when I wake up. I like that idea. I, I, I think it's rather unethical to record somebody without their own uh, without their consent. However, in a time with a uh, with a government that has this is we were promised the most open and transparent government in history. Instead, I have never seen a a a, a caucus more dedicated to answering direct questions with talking points. Um, I've never seen an ability to pivot like this. Uh, this is uh, you know, this is they pivot better than you know people on NBA teams. Uh, it's it's um it's 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 a tremendous gift that they have to stay in power, uh, but they, but it doesn't serve the public. And so I can appreciate the impetus from a, a, a constituent who just wants an honest answer. And he got one. He got a very honest answer, and it's causing problems for this government. If this government had a, a history of being more open, of being more transparent, as we were promised, I don't know that this would have been necessary. But, uh, but it is what it is, given, given their, their yeah. intransigence on this, uh, on this issue. It's very frustrating for, for me to hear somebody ask a direct question and never get a direct answer. And so it, there's something refreshing of hearing this by Rob Oliphant. I don't like how they went about it, but I think it was probably needed. It, Roy, is there wiggle room for Oliphant here? Because he can obviously make the case. Listen, I, I, I assumed I was having a private conversation. Who amongst us doesn't have private conversations? We don't expect to be aired to the world uh, through a media lens. How do you view this one? First of all, I want to apologize to Ben. I would vote for him for prime minister. <laughs> Let's get it going. Let's get. I got. I got time to get some signatures later today. Now that the snow's died down, I'll do it. I've said that. I said that before. Okay. So look, the Liberal Party's been in internal strife over Israel's war with Hamas for months. Anthony Housefather in Montreal has been very outspoken. Hasn't cost him his seat, but he's not a not a parliamentary secretary or a cabinet minister. I'm quite sure other parties are experiencing similar internal challenges. Over the issue, this one though resonates particularly because the Liberals still form the government. And for Mr. Oliphant, well, he's the parliamentary secretary to Melanie Jolie. Let's not forget this: the Foreign Affairs Minister. If the question is, should Oliphant now retain his parliamentary secretary title? I don't see how that's possible in the public forum, in the public arena. Mm. He's not a backbencher, and Mr. Trudeau has a history of demoting and firing MPs and cabinet ministers who challenge his authority and or the party's positions. He's going, he's going to be gone. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Karima? Because what do we want from our politicians? And I, and I think having lived in the States for 10 years, we'd see that. We'd see a Democrat vote against Bill Clinton. We'd see a Republican vote occasionally against George Bush, even on big issues like should we invade Iraq or not. But I, I do feel for this person and that they were trying to – 
what a lot. I, I, I can't wait to find out more about the constituent. Who was this person who kind of it feels like Oliphant was almost set up a little bit. How do you think this will end up? Well, just I mean, strictly speaking, in legal terms, as long as you are party to a conversation, you can be recorded. Yes. Um, so, you know, the ethics of it aside, and I don't know who this constituent was and I can't, you know, get into their mind. Um, but I, I think that there has been a lot of um, frustration, disappointment over uh, the Trudeau government's wishy-washy approach to things. Um, and, I, and I think that that has given an yeah. impetus to try to find out, well, what's the real truth? What's the real truth of the matter? We want a candid answer. Um, now, regrettably, I think this might have the effect of making it even harder to have candid responses in the future because there's always going to be this ever-present concern, am I being recorded right now? Um, but, you know, th that now it's out in the public domain and we can react to it. And mm. I don't know that this will be a watershed moment, but it it, it is necessary to have dialogue and to not be um, sort of attacked immediately for yeah. our words and our thoughts. And, and that's kind of the direction in which we're heading. I think that's well said. It's worth noting MP Ken McDonald obviously has voted uh, against the carbon tax. He's been outspoken on a few things saying the Liberals need a leadership review. And so far, um, unless he's had his hand slapped behind the scenes, still, in it, still a Liberal MP. I only got about a minute here. Um, let me give uh, Ben 30 seconds to talk about what's coming up on your show today. And then I want to hear about what uh, the uh, Roy Green show has planned for this weekend. Ben, what, what, what's, what's, what's hot? What's hot and spicy between noon and three today? Well, we've talked about a number of the things today. I believe that we're, we will be talking about um, how some MPs have been assigned police protection, including mm -hmm. um, Melissa Lanceman. Uh, because her office was vandalized, we're going to talk about. So we'll talk about the, the need to protect the people who lead us. I think we, as a country, can sometimes nickel and dime our way through life. Talking about the, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons uh, 24 Sussex has not been renewed. We 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 see um, um, mm -hmm. uh, a military provisioning uh, getting nickel and dimed a year in and year out. So there there's a cheapness that goes through the Canadian voter. It is exploited politically. Uh, and and when it comes to protecting our MPs, uh, you know we're going we're going to be talking about whether or not it's worth the cost. I believe it is. I'm going to call it frugal and responsible when I take you for lunch um, in the, in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> not cheapness, uh, Roy. What, uh, I got 30 seconds. What do we got? What can we hear tomorrow on your show? Well, first of all, let me say this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've always said, don't say to me today what you don't want me to play back for you tomorrow. Okay. Back to what we're <laughs> one, one of the issues that we're going to really get at, and we have some new material on it. It's still critical in this country because it has a wider spectrum, and that's arrive can. There's much more to be said, much more to be investigated, and we have great guests, and we'll have some great input from our listeners. All right, and I'm sorry I didn't drive out and see you yesterday. I'm worried about the Canada carbon rebate. Actually, no, I'm excited to pay that. The climate action incentive payment I was not as thrilled by, but now that it's the Canada carbon rebate, Oh, I'm going to throw caution to the wind, Roy, and come come for a visit. <laughs> I, I got to get out of here. I love all you guys. Thanks so much, Karima. Thanks again as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ray. All right. Kareem Asad, Ben Mulrooney, and Roy Green. You can hear Roy tomorrow between 2 and 5. You can hear Ben today between 12 and 3.